Welcome to A Learner's Journey. My name is Molly Sanders, and the goal of this podcast is to inspire and motivate you by connecting you with a variety of passionate horsewomen and men who have dedicated their lives to helping horses and their people. I'm grateful you're here. In this episode, you're gonna get to hear from a wonderful horsewoman named Ellie Pospischel. Ellie spent seven years as Pat Pirelli's protege, and now she's working with Linda Pirelli teaching her new program. She's passionate about sharing what she's learned along the way with horse lovers from all over the world. In this conversation, we explore what it means to be effective, the importance of knowing your why when times are tough, and a lesson she recently learned with a horse she has in training. I hope you love the conversation. Hi, Ellie. Hi, Molly. Welcome. I'm excited that you decided to join me on this. Thank um, you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I One of the reasons why I wanted to have you join me, one is because I think you're awesome. And then the other is the conversations we've had lately have just been really fun. And I've thought, you know, this would be really cool to do on the podcast. So I'm glad you decided to try it. <laughs> well, you're really awesome too, Molly. And I had so much fun reconnecting with you this year when I was teaching in Washington and got to spend some good quality time with you. So yay. Yeah, yeah I know. That's, that's been fun. One of the things that I've been asking in all of the podcasts, um, and I'm going to ask you as well, is um, to tell us a little bit about your story. Like, how did you get started with horses? And then how did it turn into a professional um, career? Um, so I'll leave it at that. How'd you get started? <laughs> well, <clears throat> just like any little girl, I was horse crazy and reading books and magazines that had to do with horses. But growing up in Switzerland, unless you're a farmer or a millionaire, you don't just have horses in your backyard. And for some reason, I'm the only horse crazy person in my family. So it took me quite a bit of convincing to have my mom take me to horsey events, even just to be near horses, whether that was um, the races or the circus or whatever. And then um, my best friend in elementary school, unlike my parents, I think her parents were millionaires and they uh -huh. did have horses, <laughs> not necessarily in their backyard. But when we were in fourth grade, her mom decided that it was time for her to take riding lessons. And so her mom called my mom. And I remember this to this day. Um, I was listening in on their conversation. And so her mom asked my mom uh, if it wouldn't be a great idea if the two of us should take riding lessons together. And luckily, my mom said yes. And so that's how I got started with horses is by taking very conventional riding lessons <laughs> to the extent of um, I kind of lost my confidence in some of those experiences mm -hmm. because Switzerland is a very crowded country. And in the summer, we would go out and trail rides and then horses would run off with us or you would fall off. People would get in all kinds of wrecks and you would know, even in the arena, um, you would know exactly that halflinger would buck you off in the third corner and uh -huh. that horse, you couldn't even go into the stall because it would attack you. And so it was kind of a rough start. Um, very conventional on the lunge line for the first uh, 20 lessons or so. And then I did some vaulting too, because I said it would help with balance. Oh, wow. Timing and feel. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then dabbled in some dressage and jumping. And 
And then luckily later, a couple of years later, maybe three years later, I met another girl in the equivalent to high school and she had Icelandic horses. And uh, she invited me to come ride with her. And not only are they cute and fluffy and come in all colors, um, they are also very laid back. And if they run, they don't run very far or very fast. Right. And you're close to the ground to start with. Right. <laughs> so, uh, that was really, really good for me. So I was able to rebuild some of the confidence that I had lost in the riding lessons with the Icelandic horses. And then from then on, I kind of sought out Icelandic horses as lease horses for the next couple of years and uh, just went on trail rides and did my own thing. And then I was out of horses for five years because I was uh, pursuing a, a professional snowboarding career and I was traveling the world competing in snowboarding. Wow. <laughs> and then um, I went back to school, went to college and wanted to get back into horses. And it just happened that I ended up doing my internship that was required for the school in the Swiss Pirelli office. And so I got back into horses and got started with Pirelli that way. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, and I did know about your snowboarding career. Um, did you, did you feel like that helped to prepare you for the future at all? Or, I mean, did they, did they kind of, uh, influence each other? at all or were they two really separate things? Um, I think the connection there is my liking for competitions or <laughs> my my own sense of being competitive. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, my snowboarding career was kind of dwindling down as I got started back into horses with natural horsemanship. And I'd always kind of been thinking, well, how and when am I gonna quit the competitive side of snowboarding? And then I found out about this whole new world that, that was out there that I had no idea existed about natural horsemanship and the relationship you can have with a horse and the partnership and the things you can do by uh, following a program such as the Pirelli program. And so that got way more important for me, all of a sudden, that connection, because in the competition world, especially in, in the sport like snowboarding, it's either you against the judge or the other competitors. So it's not very, there's not a lot of connecting or partnerships. Obviously I made lots of friends sure. on, on touring the world and whatnot, but in that moment, it's just you against everybody else really. Right. And right. at least the horses, uh, even if you compete with horses, hopefully it's you with your horse and then it's maybe against the others. Yeah. Right. So the, there's, um, like you said, the similarity of the competitiveness that, that both of those kind of fed that in you. But with snowboarding, there's not really a relationship that develops. I mean, maybe with some people in their snowboards there is, but uh, it's it's a different thing. You know, it's an inanimate object. And um, is, yeah. the, is that kind of what you're going for there? That, that yes, absolutely. A relationship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's super interesting. So um, how did you end up? Because I met you in Colorado. I think that's where we first met. I don't think it was in yes. yeah. And um, I think that's when you first arrived. Um, and how did that how did that come about? Okay. Um, so then while I was doing my internship in the Swiss Pearly office, that was the year that Pat and Linda Pearly were touring in Europe. So I got to meet Pat and Linda, I got to meet all the instructors, 
and all of the lovely people that were studying the Perley program. And I was hooked. I was like, mm-hmm. This is what I want to do. And so I was a rookie at the time. I mean, I hadn't even gotten my level one yet, but I'm just trusted the process and followed the program and uh, did have my eyes kind of set on coming to the U.S. to start the process of becoming a professional. Mm -hmm. Um, During that time, I bought my first own horse. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then also spent a lot of time with uh, a pearly instructor in Switzerland, Wally Gegenschatz. Oh, sure. Five star. Mm -hmm. And so I was his working student for... 12 months over two or three different periods of time and then came to the U.S. came to Pagosa for the first time in 2008 to take a six-week course which was then the prerequisite for the professionals program Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't want to leave at the end Mm -hmm. of the course John Barr (laughs) was the head of faculty and I requested a meeting with him and I was like I really want to go ride with Pat and he said well it's not as easy as you might think it is I'm like I don't care I'll do whatever it takes and every morning I would take my lease horse out on the hill there where the honeycomb is and look down at the other barn where Pat and his team were playing with horses and cows and wanna and I really want to be down there and um then luckily they changed the professionals program to where they had the week-long instructor courses and so the year after that, I came back for one of those because there was, I thought at the time, there was no way that I could take three months, 12 weeks out of my life. I had a horse, a car, a job, an apartment, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but I could do a week. I can come for a week and right. at least get my foot in the door. And then obviously was hooked while I was here and then signed up for the 12-week program the year after <laughs> and then got the scholarship for the internship. And then just kept coming back year after year for longer, longer periods of time until I ended up staying. Right. Until a week turned into many, many years. Yes. Um, So I, you know, I think a lot of people know that you were Pat's protege for a long time. How many years? It was seven years. Seven years. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's a long time. What, what would you say, like, what are some of the ways that that shaped you and like what are some of the things that you're grateful for with that experience everything really I mean I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be who I am and where I am had I not found natural horsemanship had I not found Pirelli and had the opportunities that I had during those seven intense years with Pat we wouldn't be doing this podcast right right yeah so super grateful for every moment every little success and every little struggle during that time um the various people I got to meet things I got to do the teaching the competitions the spotlights um it was just all very very nurturing Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. so and I would always say this to students that will come to Pat's barn as I just try to be like a sponge and soak everything up and uh everything's good for something what would you say, like, what were, what were some of the challenging parts? <laughs> the same <laughs> uh-huh. juggling it all. Um, and the, the personal growth that I went through, I, I believe anyways, um, from having or getting to manage the barn with all the horses and horse health. Cause sometimes we would have a team, but sometimes 
it would be a one woman show. Right. <laughs> and um, uh, so managing the barn, being Pat's personal assistant with his events and emails and travel and whatnot. Um, keeping Caton alive, Pat's mm -hmm. son. <laughs> That's a full-time job in itself. Right. Getting to teach on campus and getting to teach students and instructors that were visiting the barn. Uh, just juggling all of that. And then also growing into that leadership role that I was expected to be in. Um, yeah. That for sure was a big challenge. Um, was that just something that I hadn't really done before? And what, what would you say, like, what, what, um, where did you have to stretch? Like, you know, especially, I mean, it, like you mentioned, it's so intense. There's so many different things that you're keeping your eye on. And, um, and with that, the leadership role that you were, um, growing into, like, what was, what was hard about that? Um, what, where did you have to grow the most, do you think? I think I'm a pretty good follower and a very loyal person. So I treated the whole thing. I don't want to call it a, a business or whatever. The whole situation, I treated it like a, like, well, I'm going to go ahead and call it a business. <laughs> I treated it like a family business. So, mm -hmm. you know, being kind of on call 24 seven, but then also being really close with Pat and Linda and Pat's parents and Linda's parents when they were visiting, um, so that was, I guess, kind of like, this is what I did. And, you know, I was loyal to these people and, and the cause. And then on the other hand, growing into more of a manager or a leader for other people and various other people and facility team and students and other instructors and whatnot. And um, that for sure was a stretch. And, finding the right words, even in a foreign language yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the emotional fitness to do so and doing right by pad, but then also standing up for the students um, needs, for example, or, or issues there right. um, and kind of being Switzerland and playing both sides. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can imagine too, that it would be really challenging to also set like boundaries for yourself and to, you know, set aside that time to take care of you so that you can keep being part of the, you know, the family and, and watching out for everybody. Um, was that challenging at all? Yes, for sure. Yeah. And it was more of a, a choice or the choice was challenging because at first I was committed to two years and then that turned into more and more and um, I was like, well, you know, FOMO, I don't want to miss out on anything. It's right. zero right. missing out. Yeah. So, you know, if so, the team was leaving early or somebody was coming in late, you know, I tried to be there and help out and, um, and just soak up every opportunity of learning, or even if it was disguised as work, maybe. Right. Um, and then um, there were other barn managers before me when I was still a baby in the program that on Sundays either they wouldn't show up or show them shorts so they would for sure not get put on a horse or put to work mm -hmm. and I never had that kind of a cl clean cut or a line that uh -huh. Sunday and it's my day off um, right granted most of the Sundays were either at a cutting show or at a, a, a tour stop or something anyways um 
But like you said, it does take a balance, a healthy balance, a work-life balance. And so I did eventually, I was like, okay, I think the sponge is getting full. So maybe there needs to be time to squeeze that out into whatever form or fashion. And that's when I started going to a CrossFit gym, both here and in Florida, just a, it's also a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of because you work out in a in a group of people right and so so I, my goal was to not only stay in shape or be get in better shape but also um to meet other people outside of the Pirelli bubble <laughs> right right that's really cool so you learned so much during that time obviously uh the seven years and then some looking back like if you could rewind the clock would there be anything that you would do differently or um, would you change anything? No, I do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, cool. And I actually, it's funny. I've, I've had people ask me that too about my experiences um, there on, on the Pirelli campus, but, and then in like teaching my elementary school teaching days. And I feel the same way. It's like, if I, 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 everything that I did led me to now, you know, and I, you strike me as somebody like that too, that, you know, even the, even the hard times, like they led you to some lessons and some things that, you know, created who you are now. So that's, that's really cool. And now it's time for a short commercial break. One of my favorite things about getting to do this podcast and the virtual learning opportunities I create is getting to know and work with a variety of wonderful horsemen and women. On May 14th, there's an opportunity for you to do the same when Charlie Snell's virtual clinic called Letting Go of Trouble comes your way. It's a two-week clinic designed to help you teach your horse to change their thought, be present with you, and let go of tension. Charlie is a special horseman with a -a one-of-a-kind background and perspective on horses. Learning with him is an opportunity I hope you'll seize. But I also understand that sometimes it's hard to jump into a clinic without really knowing someone. So we're providing an opportunity for you to sample three of the lessons from the clinic for free. There's a link to do that in the details below. We hope you'll join in. And now back to the conversation with Ellie. So now um, you kind of have started this whole new chapter. It's not brand new, um, but, you know, one of the things that's so cool about the Pirelli campus, like you mentioned, is there are people that come from all over. You get to learn with a variety of people and, um, and you spent a concentrated amount of time with Pat. Right. And then you got to spend, you know, some time with Linda too. Um, But now you've moved into this other chapter where you're studying more intensively with Linda and you're um, teaching her program. So tell us about that. Like what's, what's that been like? Yeah. um, Interesting twists of events in everybody's life in the last year or so. Um, so there was actually a time I was maybe two years or so into my time with Pat and he left on a trip and I wrote a handwritten letter to him saying, because I obviously wasn't brave enough to tell him face to face. yet, <laughs> And um, I said, 
I'm really enjoying my time with you. I'm learning so much. Uh, however, me coming from an English writing background, um, maybe in the next six months or so, would it possibly be an option that I could transition to Linda Land? And I snuck that letter in his briefcase. And uh, when he come, came back from his trip, I was like, did you find my letter? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then <laughs> uh, the rest is history. I did spend most of my time with Pat and uh -huh. um, corrected my cowgirl um, appearance. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, so when this happy horse, happy life opportunity came about, I thought, well, now's the time, I guess, uh, compared to way back when. And um, I feel like what Linda offers is a lot of what my students need, like to become better writers or help them with confidence issues. And then for me as an instructor or as a horsewoman, there's always so much more to learn. So for my own learning and sake, I am really excited about that new layer or different aspect, um, different perspective on things. And I do quite a bit of horse development and used to be a uh, horse development specialist. So now with Linda's program, it gives me almost like a teaching blueprint, not just a horse development blueprint, but to be able to teach more horse development strategies or aspects. And then also what I love about it is that it has a lot a more of a inclusive feel and language about it. And a lot of people, I'm sure not only you and me, but a lot of people out there have heard that Prelly is a cult or people talk about it like a cult and whatnot. And so there's, there's a lot of like lingo and tools and whatnot in the program that might, might make it harder for people to be interested in natural horsemanship. So, you know, the way Linda <clears throat> teaches it, it's a lot more, you have a, a challenge with your horse. Oh, let me help you fix that kind of a deal um, using English language and not necessarily um, its own terminology. Right, right. Pat would always say the more you know about the end, the more you know about how to get there from the beginning. So like I said, if you're already a very skilled horse person, then make a plot like, and that's kind of how I, I'm not necessarily calling myself very skilled, but <laughs> I think you could, <laughs> but even just now, like having that new kind of a filter, um, and really being there with and for the horse from the beginning, because I already know how to handle tools and I'm aware of boundaries that there need to be between the horse and I. So now I feel I can be, I can cater even better to the horse's needs just with that new kind of a filter versus, you know, going through a checklist of tasks and um, my horse needs to be able to accomplish. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. This brings up something that I was just talking about the other day with, um, there's a woman that I'm doing a virtual clinic with that is a massage therapist. And so we mm -hmm. did a whole thing on massage and it's been really interesting, <clears throat> but I've been doing the things along with everybody and it's a whole new, I never did body work. So it's a whole new set of, uh, skills and things to learn. And I realized that because she's very much about having the conversation and observing the horse and, you know, the things that you're talking about that you're that 
um, Linda's program is teaching. And, um, and I, I, I've found it really challenging to be observant of my horse's responses because I'm needing to learn these, these tasks really. And so I just, it just kind of triggered me when you said that, that, you know, I think there is, there's such an important place for tasks and, you know, learning those skills, like you said, learning how to use your tools and all those things that the Pirelli program helps with. Um, but you, you're, when you're learning, it's hard to have any space left over for having a conversation and observing your horse and, and adapting and changing. And so it sounds like that's where Linda's program really comes in is when people have the basic skills, they're ready to then go, okay, cool. Now, how do I like paint with this paintbrush in a, in a more, artful way. I don't know if that applies at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to describe it. And I'm sure you've heard it in the past too. Like the, uh, the levels program was about your horsemanship, right? And, and yes, it was developed to, uh, or it was put in place to develop instructors and teach instructors a certain skill set, so that then they could go out and teach or then, or, and, or, delve into horse development so yeah like you said once you have the essential skills and I mean what maybe maybe you have maybe not you personally but maybe this person out there has a very well-trained horse and then you know then that's awesome then go play with it and find whatever purpose fits your horse and your own dreams and goals um for sure but a lot of people get into natural horsemanship because of any kind of horse behavior issues that they might have. Mm -hmm. right? So then fixing those and then fixing or changing people's attitudes about um, how good things can be and how connected you can be to your horse mm -hmm. so that the horse can be happy. Right. Yeah. Right. Very cool. I heard something really cool that you are an author now. Um, is that true? It is, it is. And I've actually been dreaming about writing a book, a fiction novel about probably a dog and its story or journey through life. But that's kind of a big project to tackle that I've been procrastinating. So when I got the opportunity to write just just a chapter for a book that Linda Pirelli was collaborating with some of her instructors on, I jumped on it. And um, I got to pick the subject and I picked one of my favorite things to do with horses, which is liberty. Oh, cool. And so what's, so what's the book? The book is called 101 Proven Tips for You and Your Horse. Oh, very cool. And uh, the other chapters that are in the book are on arena riding, saddle fit, horse health, all kinds of super, super interesting subjects from different instructors and different perspectives, kind of all under the umbrella of happy horse, happy life. Very cool. That's awesome. So what would you say, like you've had, um, you've had these opportunities, you've had a, you know, a fair bit of success in your, in your horsemanship and in your professional life. And, um, I know it hasn't all been easy and like, hasn't all been this smooth uphill, you know, there've been some, you know, uh, challenges along the way. What would you say is a key to, to your success? 
Um, not being afraid of failure or mm. work or not giving up even. Yeah. And then also not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, I wouldn't be here had I not had all that help in my horsemanship journey for sure. Right. So every good athlete has a coach, every, every successful business person has a coach, whether that's mental, emotional, and or physical. At the same time, not looking for perfection, but um, aiming for just 1% improvement or 1% progress. Right. Yeah, yeah that's really good. Um, it's, that's all of those are you know, such good reminders. And we need to hear that over and over. I know I do, maybe I should just speak for myself, but, you know, being reminded of that 1% improvement, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in that. Oh, I should be so much further, you know, than I am. And, um, or we should be done with this or, you know, whatever. And knowing that it's just, just a little bit. And like you said, keep showing up and, and that falling on your face is part of the deal. And, um, (laughs) that's, that's really good. During those times that were really challenging, um, what what do you think is something that helped you get through? Um, uh, knowing your why, or knowing my why, like why am I here in this given moment in time and space, um, and what's the bigger picture? Like, has your why changed at all? Hmm. That's a good question. Yes, it has for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and what, what would you say? What is it now? I think now that I'm in less of a learning situation with my horsemanship journey, I mean, I still continue to seek learning opportunities, but it's not a full on everyday, all day, high pressure environment. Right. That I'm in. Um, now it's more about how do I want to shape my future and influence other people's lives? Like now my why is hopefully I'm here to have you have a happy horse and a happy life with horses and help you achieve your dreams and goals. So that's now more of my why than I'm here to become X, Y, Z. Right. Right. That's interesting. So that is one of the ways it changed for a while. It was, uh, probably accomplishing a certain level or a certain position. And now it's much more outside yourself. And um, now that you've gotten those skills and accomplished those things, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And that, so now, like you said, I think now it's less about me and more about you out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and being able to share what I've, what's been shared with me and kind of paying it forward in that way. Right. right. That's, that's what motivates me in the morning to get up and get out of bed and get after it. Yeah. That's really cool. So you um, are getting an opportunity um, now to travel, you know, all over, not, not as much like you were traveling a lot more and then COVID hit, but now you're starting to travel again um, more and you've worked with, you know, all sorts of people. You worked with lots of people when they came to the campus and, um, What's something that you see students struggling with, um, either in their horsemanship or with, you know, just being a learner, um, that you might be able to offer some um, advice on? Yeah, I think the most common denominator, whether that's East Coast, West Coast, 
US or Europe um, is that the students struggle to be effective and struggle to be clear. Yeah. And that's hard, right? Um, yeah. Like if you don't know what things should look like, maybe because you are still in a learning situation or, or your journey, then trying to teach a horse that what it is they should be doing, that's hard. So, right. I mean, horsemanship is hard. Good riding is hard, like right. Linda says, or else we would see more of it. Right. right. Um, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And the, the strategies that both Pat and Linda have shared in the past about, you know, how to be clear and how to um, grade or rate yourself and your horses and so that you can achieve that 1% improvement in progress. I think that's super, super valuable. And talk to me about the effectiveness. Cause that, when you said that, I was like, Oh yeah. I mean, that's still something that I, um, I don't know if struggle with is a good word, but just something I know I need to continue to improve. Um, tell me more about that. Like, what do you see? What do, what do, what makes it hard for students to be effective and how could you help them with that? Yeah. Um, well, and if being effective doesn't necessarily mean you got to get bigger or in your, in your pressure or application of pressure or, um, in whatever tools you use, but, um, finding, I think really finding out what motivates your horse so that you can then approach things from that angle and be effective in harmony with your horse's needs rather than just getting it done no matter how or no matter what. Um, I think that's kind of, you know, now it gets really into the foo-foo talk, but that's the beauty of uh, Linda's How to Talk Horse program is that the first module is all about connection. And even her, she said the other day that she realized that even though she spent all this great time developing Highland, one of her horses, she just recently realized that there was still a lack of connection. So being effective, I think, to come back to that, I think really has more to do with how I present things to a horse or a student for that matter, right? <clears throat> you know, as a teacher, that some people learn better when they can try things out. Some people can learn better when they see things uh, being demonstrated or some people learn better by hearing or reading. So, right. Right. That, that's really great. Um, cause I think that I know for myself, when I hear that, um, expression, you need to be more effective. I still will go to more firm, you know, louder, even though I know now that that's not what it means, I still will go there. So you, the way you shared that, that it's about how you present things and it's about getting to know your horse and how they, how you need to present it um, to them. Um, it, that's, that's so good. And it's, it's so huge, right? <laughs> it like, is. Yeah. It, that's where the whole lifetime of, um, of doing this uh, comes in. It's not something you can just learn in a day. Um, no, it's not. And that, I think that's that feel too, mm -hmm. that hopefully you can fill your feel bucket over time and right. so that those things become more second nature and then also being able to match the horse's energy appropriately that's another 
part of the puzzle to getting better feel or, or achieving better feel and, and then being able to present things appropriately to whatever horse. Right. Right. And there's so much, there's so much in there. Um, I, I, you know, I'm just thinking about that. There's so much of what you've said already that fits into that, like not being afraid to fail because <laughs> learning to match your horse, learning, feel all these things take experimenting and getting it wrong over and over until you have those moments where it's like, Oh, there it is. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think so much of what you've shared about your journey kind of exemplifies, um, getting that feel developing that, um, I don't know if I'm making sense. It's making yeah, sense in my brain. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, totally. And I hadn't looked at it that way. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, one of my other mantras is whether that's <laughs> with horses or not, is what's the worst thing that could happen? <laughs> that's and good. are you willing to take that risk? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. And that is, that's a really good, that's a really good question um, to ask. Because sometimes it's like, well, the worst thing that could happen is, you know, nothing like, you know, it, it's not a big deal. Like I can do this. And then other times you're like, oh, the worst thing that could happen is really bad. And then maybe you need more support or, or more, um, more skills um, before yeah. you jump into that. But yeah. yeah. Or slow down or, you know, try a different way. So yeah. Again, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's lots of that. Um, so you have, um, you're living in Pagosa. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is like your dream because there's snow and snowboarding in the winter and then horses in the summer. Well, horses all year round for you, but, um, so this time of year, my or all year round, you're taking horses in training. Um, or is it more like spring and fall because in the summer, well, it, it kind of depends, um, depending on my clinic schedule. Is, so I, if I'm gone every other weekend or every weekend, I don't want to have a horse in training, then that just ends up sitting around. So, right. Uh, that's how kind of how I schedule it. Okay. Uh, and then depending on how rough of a winter it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, is there a lesson that you've learned recently from a horse that you've had in training that you'd be willing to share? Yeah, sure thing. Um, so a very interesting horse that I have in training right now, a three-year-old appendix mare. And she's been through a couple other trainers programs, flunked their programs, or they gave up on her. Um, she almost got sent to dog food factory. Boy. <laughs> um, and she's only three? Yeah. Wow. Um, and the owners were prepared to just have her as a pasture pet since she was deemed untrainable. And um, so she's not only young, but also she has already, like you said, a lot of baggage. And so trying to erase that and undo that and put more of the good stuff in um, has been an interesting challenge. She's very, very sweet, um, but also very, very pushy. <laughs> and uh and very uh, very very introverted so she does not moving her feet is not necessarily her hobby mm -hmm. um so 
I, I mean, I knew some of the background story, but this happens almost every time. Like I need to learn to ask better questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, so first time I tried to ask her to canter on the ground on a, on a, like a 22 foot row. She wanted to do everything but go forward. She was kicking out. She was threatening to come forward and attack me, um, turn her away from me, but not go forward more. And I was like, how interesting. <laughs> so um, that's been a challenge. And then same thing under saddle. Um, just the other day, I asked her to just, you know, maybe trot a little bit. <laughs> And she started to kick out at my my foot, um, like very very strongly. And she and she didn't make contact or anything, but that was just like, okay, then I'll just wait for you whenever you're ready. You can do this forever, however long you want, because it's not bothering me much. So, um, in in that same session, I'm not sure. I guess I must have done the right thing to some extent because in that same session, she then offered the canner on her saddle for the first time. Hmm. And I didn't even ask for it. I was just like trotting and she trotted hmm. and she trotted faster and here we are, cantering. Um, so that was my, you know, the same thing. Like I was like, she's been with me for a couple of weeks now. We should probably be farther along. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> she's in charge of the timelines mm -hmm. luckily the owners are very very understanding of what's going on and and are super stoked with how far she has come anyways mm -hmm. so i i feel like i can take the time that it takes so that things can be more her idea because um her <laughs> her t-shirt reads you can't make me <laughs> right right uh, so you know i could but then you get into an argument and, right. and that's she's already her pattern right um i've seen videos from the past where she um did that so trying to undo that and and giving her the opportunity to be be part of the conversation like in the beginning i played around with some go touch this go touch that even on the ground and she had no concept of Oh, you ask a question and I get to answer and you're not going to make me those, those kind of things. So um, it's been a great, great learning time or opportunity for me to just set it up and wait yeah, and be there for her and with her and not do things to her. So in that example where you were asking her for the trot and she's kicking out, um, what what made the difference like what were you what you said you know i can wait all day like what what were you doing um i was using the rain a little bit to give her direction to, mm -hmm. to go to the side rather than mm -hmm. just forward mm -hmm. and you know just added a little bit of pressure with my seat and a little bit with my legs but mm -hmm. that was it um, mm -hmm. because she is <laughs> her name is actually light uh -huh. um, <laughs> even though she's more of the pushy nature uh, she can be really light and responsive mm -hmm. so you know just setting it up that with that light of the pressure and having her find the freedom within those light boundaries mm -hmm. instead of you know, making her by pushing harder or using a crop or a, a, a rope or string or whatever right um, so i think just over and over and over and over proving to her that 
A, there are boundaries, but also you have a say in things. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give up on you. Like right. maybe other people have in the past. And, right. and being, so you, like in that, in that situation, you're, you know, you, you did a great job explaining like what was happening for, with you, like you, when she started to kick out, you weren't adding any more. You just stayed with what you had originally asked yeah. and waited for her to do something besides the kicking out. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. that, I think that is really challenging, uh, to do, to stay like, to not get bigger, um, or yeah, more, more firm in that situation. But if, if you had done that, what do you think, like, would she just have gotten bigger in her response? Um, I mean, and I, the same kind of pattern happens on the ground. She, um, they, nobody was ever able to trim her feet without having to sedate her until she came here to Pagosa and one of the local, uh, other local Pirelli instructors who was also a farrier uh, was able to um, do it with her and for mm -hmm. her and without sedation. So yeah, she has that kind of a kicking with the hind feet um, pattern. Mm -hmm. um, the owner said she was ticklish in her flank area. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so she does not, she she has very strong opinions about what she likes and what she doesn't like. And um, she thinks she's in charge of um, establishing those boundaries. So, right. you know, in, un, in other situations, I've used more of a match the energy kind of a um, more firm, okay, mm -hmm. now you need to move your hind feet and not have them up in the air because mm -hmm. I'm done up in the air clearly you can do something more constructive with them right um but um luck and luckily it didn't take too long for her to kind of give up on that thought the other day when I when she was kicking out when I was on her mm -hmm. <clears throat> um I would like I said I would think it would uh, I would rather it be her idea to change her mind about it mm -hmm. rather than me presenting her with a different solution or, or me making her change her mind. Right. Right. So you just sticking with it, continuing to ask a similar question um, until she's able to come up with a different answer. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it wasn't like a control situation. Right. So in that kind of a situation, I would have done maybe something else, but, right. but then the next ride, there was zero kick it out. So hopefully we're on the right track. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. So um, how can people um, connect with you and learn more with you? Cause you're, you're doing all sorts of stuff. You've got virtual coaching going on, you're traveling, um, you're teaching at home. So how do, how do people connect with you? So from a connection point of view, social media is good. Awesome. Facebook, Instagram, uh, or I have a website called Solutions by Ellie. And so okay. it's not just a solution, but a solution. Oh, okay. So S-O-U-L? Yes. Okay, cool. I'll put the website um, underneath on the video and then in the show notes too. But Yeah. And then, um, yeah, sign up for my newsletter. And um, yeah, I do everything you said and then some. So um, I'm, I love getting to be creative with different teaching formats. Um, I do need to revamp my virtual uh, clinics or a, a coaching program. So I'm excited to tackle that uh, in the slower winter season. But other than that, 
people can come to Pagosa and um, stay here with their horses for a week or so, whatever, and we'll do some horsemanship and we'll go on some trail rides and whatever floats their boat. Uh, I do travel quite a bit for clinics. So I do have a couple openings left for next year for 2022. Um, if somebody wants to host me for a clinic. Awesome. And um, I do teach educational private lesson, but um, there's not too big of a market for that here. Very cool. I've heard really good things about the um, intensive studies with you, like coming and spending time in Pagosa. So if anyone, if that's been on their bucket list to go and travel and, you know, go to a beautiful place, um, I would recommend that. Um, thank so you. that's, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for doing this. Um, you've shared a lot of really cool things that'll get people thinking and, uh, it's been really fun and I look forward to hearing about what happens for you in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as always getting to chat with you and I uh, hope what I was uh, sharing didn't get lost in translation. <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you. All right. That wraps up the conversation with Ellie. I hope you found some nuggets to help you on your journey. If you'd like to make sure to hear future episodes, make sure you subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube or click follow if you're listening to it. I have a special invitation for you. If you enjoy hearing about other people's stories and sharing your own, I'd love for you to check out a Learner's Journey Facebook group. It's a supportive, positive place for us to share about our horse lives. You can find it on Facebook by searching for A Learner's Journey or click the link below. Thank you for spending this time with me and Ellie, and I look forward to bringing you more conversations in the future. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.